You're listening to Creators in Saigon, a podcast based in the rapidly modernizing city of Saigon, Vietnam. I'm Dana, and together with my co-hosts, Tuesi and Nico, we interview the most inspiring creative entrepreneurs Saigon has to offer on topics about life, relationships, creativity, business, health, and more. We are all coaches specializing in different areas, but our common goal is to inspire you to reach your full potential in these areas and improve the quality of your life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Creators in Saigon podcast, where we interview inspiring creatives and entrepreneurs in Saigon, Vietnam, about life, relationships, personal growth, identity, entrepreneurship, and more. Today, we are finally interviewing Nicola. <laughs> we actually did this interview months ago, but the audio was horrible, so we're doing it again. So Nico is French-Vietnamese, born and raised in France, and came to Vietnam about eight years ago, right? Yes. When he was 20 years old. And during those eight years, he has started up several small businesses and passion projects with many successes and failures along the way that we will dig into. It's pairing yeah. with each other. <laughs> <laughs> but before we dive in, if you enjoy Creators in Saigon and want to hear even more content and stories from interesting people in Vietnam, definitely check out the 7 Million Bikes podcast hosted by Neil Mackay, which is available on all podcast apps. He definitely has his own unique style as a talented storyteller and comedian from Scotland. Many of his guests are also comedians, so there's always a good laugh in his episodes, and I know I really enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Um, he also hosts comedy nights, so definitely follow the 7 Million Bikes Facebook page to get updates on all of his events. And actually, we may go to these events as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. And we are going already. Come see us there. Yeah. So where in France did you grow up? So I was born in Lyon. It's a, it's one of the biggest cities in France, but I didn't really have time to enjoy this big city lifestyle because I quickly moved to a smaller town in the center of France. And we moved around France a lot with my parents because my father was changing job a lot. And actually, and, and my parents divorced as well. So um, I was in between two cities. One was Poitiers. It's near La Rochelle, near Bordeaux, for the, the one who doesn't know where is France. <laughs> it's like on the west, west, west coast, mm-hmm. near the wine region, near the cognac region. Mm. And uh, the center of France is like you take a map, you cut it in four, and this is the exact center is where I was cr- growing up. Mm. So it's a really, really small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, really family oriented town as well. So I had a really quiet childhood, I guess, okay. <laughs> with a lot of nature. <laughs> oh, yeah, so did you like it growing up? Yeah, actually I liked it. I think city life is more, like you see you see more of a, like innovative stuff and you are you feel like you're more in, on the flow of, you know, what's, what's new and, and things like that. But when you live in the countryside, you are uh, more peaceful and uh, you have more time to enjoy those not little things, those natural things. So it was it was nice. Like everybody was knowing each other. You know, like you go in the supermarket, you cross some friends. Mm-hmm. It's a really village atmosphere, mm-hmm. which actually is similar to the French community in Saigon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are like six thousand people, and uh, it feels like my hometown somehow. Well, were there um, many other minorities there? Not that many, actually. I mean, compared to a city like Lyon or Paris or Marseille, I was I was in the like, yeah, where like maybe five percent. But I was growing in um, in the area where there was a lot of mixity because when my parents divorced, um, my mom moved to a smaller apartment to raise us, and that was with all the immigrants basically. And that was really fun, actually, to be in a multicultural environment mm-hmm. my entire childhood. Uh, I didn't realize that it was some sort of a, an area for, you know, poorer and, and minorities people. But 
from a child perspective, it's it's fun to see different things every day, and 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 you don't really realize it as well. So, could you paint the picture of what it was living in a mixed culture home? And I know you, so especially with your father being adopted. Mm-hmm. So, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And okay. how how old were you when your parents divorced? So I was eight years old. Yeah. Um, so I think in France, especially, it's. I mean, it's, it's the same everywhere because in Vietnam, like the multiculturality creates like contrasts and 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 I, f- I, f- I feel like for me, like the conclusion of all this after all these years, I'm, I'm sure this message is going to grow and it's going to be different in in the future. But my little analysis of it is that you gain in be- living in and evolving in a multicultural environment because someone that you like, like let's say the basic stuff you know like eating breakfast if you evolve in the same culture everybody eat the same breakfast and 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 at the same time and it's the same things every day right but then when you are confronted to multiculturality then you can try different stuff you can like your palate can evolve your habits will change like you, you will discover new things, uh, new new food and everything. So it's very interesting, right? And unfortunately, this creates as well. Like with the differences, it creates you know a gap sometimes. Mm-hmm. So like if you don't communicate properly, especially in those kind of environment, then of course, like you may have some you know misinterpretation of some things. And so um, I've I've actually been very careful in my entire childhood to not you know hurt anyone when you say something because you know that another minority or another person next to you which is your neighbor do it uh, differently so you you respect that as well so multicultural creates differences and respect and and, uh, and and help to discover new things every day I think it's a good thing what, what did you mean when you said you try not to hurt anyone so I think in especially in the current context where you know we we are confronted to the globalization and, and and this environment where like in the US with what happens in the US in Europe as well like we are getting more self-centered and all these things this is what I mean like I feel like when you open up to someone else's culture this is a whole new world that you can discover so I take it as an opportunity more than you know something that is that is a danger and so that's what i mean by not hurting anyone i mean like we sh- we should um, embrace the difference instead of being scared of it and then you know start arguing with each other's differences i think it's just, mm. it's not the point yeah yeah and i forget is your mom also vietnamese so my mom is french she's born in algeria so it's another culture as well. Yeah. I'm working with someone who is from Algeria as well. So um, I'm, he told me a lot of things. And I, I've had Moroccan friends, Arab friends. They, they, when they come to Vietnam, they tell me like it's it's basically the same, but Muslim, you know. <laughs> like, Vietnam, like, yeah, there is a lot of similarities, you know. Not the same, of course, but like you have to bargain uh, when you go to the market. Mm-hmm. People are very friendly. They, they, they live the family you know it's 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 more important for them mm-hmm. and and things like that so my mom has the, had this culture as well mm-hmm. uh, a little bit mm-hmm. even though she was from a french family or living there i have a question that is not on here but it just popped into my head out of curiosity growing up did you date girls who were like of different cultures that's interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. I uh, I had time to travel as well. <laughs> A lot. Different type of traveling. It was, tra- it was traveling. Yeah, yeah, no, it was traveling because, uh, for example, I dated yeah Arabic and uh, like one was uh, one quarter com- Cambodian, for example. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mostly. I mean, f- French. People usually have at least one grandfather that is Italian or or yeah. Portuguese or mm-hmm. you know so it's it's common right yeah. so I was not aiming at it mm-hmm. was, it was more coming in and I was like yeah f- that's okay. that's fun you know yeah I was curious because I was wondering like imagining bringing a girl home to like meet parents or whatever like I I don't know anything about the French culture in terms of 
I feel like I've heard from Vietnamese culture, it's very conservative and like, mm-hmm. oh, you're, you're not gonna, you know, go sleep over their house or something, or you're not like the girl's not allowed to stay here or you're not allowed to stay out so late or mm-hmm. things like that. So what was that kind of like for you? you? And I think you, like, you definitely have those kind of uh, behaviors and, and, and typical families mm-hmm. in France. But mine was definitely not like it was impossible for my parents to be like, no, we are French, you know, and we do uh, French way. Mm. Like even my father, I think, was kind of lost in, you know, should I join the Vietnamese communities? Because in every small city, even if it's a small city in France, you still have some other Vietnamese people because the the, the Vietnamese community is everywhere. Um, and yes. Yeah, <laughs> everywhere. No, it's true. Like, I mean, you it's always true. have... Uh, abilities to find you know a, a, a family um that is from vietnam in france and and he he was connected but he was not really you know into it and at the same time like every day on the table like we had wine cheese and you know the french stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah i think they were welcoming anything and not really caring like more more importantly like interested in you know multiculturality i think mm. so if i summarize a little bit so your mom was born in Algeria. Yeah. Then she went back to France. Mm-hmm. She met your father that is adopted. Yes. Uh, he's Vietnamese genetically. Yes. Uh, grew up in France. Yes. Also. And then, uh, and then they divorced when you were seven. Eight. Eight. Yes. Eight. Yes, yes, yes. All right. And then you lived mostly with your mom? Yes, because uh, so one of the reason I think, I mean, it's my analysis, but mm-hmm. it's my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So my analysis is they, my father was a career oriented person, at least at that time, I think still, but he still had some dreams, like professional dreams that he didn't achieve and he wanted to keep going. Meanwhile, my mom was like, yo, we have, um, she was not like, yo, but she was more like, hey, (laughs) we have two beautiful kids. Uh, They are uh, growing up. They need our attention. This is our future, you know, and let's just, you know, be happy with what we have made. He was already a director of a company and, and everything. So he was making good money already. He made it, you know, like, because he was coming from a, a family that when they adopted him, they had to go into depth for this. Cause mm. like her, his, his mom wanted a kid. She couldn't. So she adopted a Vietnamese kid. And after that, like, they were really not poor, but they were like, you know, Care, careful about their money mm. and um, and in a rich region in France because uh, my father is from the mountains like near Geneva and Switzerland so when he made it to the top somehow I think he was like oh there's still some room for you know more and I think he was interested into that and he was counting on my mom to raise us and everything and I don't think my mom was like no this is not you know the way I'm not seeing not the future of our couple <laughs> um, so this is one of the reasons, but of course, there is many more reasons. I had the time to talk to my parents about money. I had the time to, to talk about this divorce and this thing. And, and yeah, of course, it's not just one reason. It's many different things because they lived 10 years together. So your parents, you have a good relationship with both of your parents? Yes, yes. And uh, they were really open to actually discuss mm-hmm. about that, which I feel like as a me, like now that I want to have kids, uh, I feel this is what you, we should all do as a parent, you know, with our kids, is to be open about those topics, you know, why dad and mother are divorcing and mm. why, what, what is our vision for you in the future. So, like, the kid is not just lost in between. and Thinking yeah. it's their fault. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, what was the easiest... I'm going to ask a very personal question. Right, go ahead. ahead. So, what was the easiest to live, like, your, your mixed culture or... Being the kid of a divorce couple, because I know in France it's quite heavy sometimes when you're part of a divorce family. Yeah, what what made what made you feel more outside the box? It's 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 very interesting because I've never compared like multiculturality because multiculturality. Mm-hmm. So you're always for me like you're always sitting in between two chairs mm-hmm. and trying to make the both of them comfortable. Yeah. But, you know, like when you start focusing on two things at the same time, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a recipe for failure, right? <laughs> so I, you don't fail, but you, you struggle doing that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a difficult f- thing to do already, yeah. uh, living in a multicultural environment. 
you have so many things to deal with. And then at the same time, like the divorce. So in 2000, I was one of the only child with divorced parents in my school. Mm. So like we were the pioneer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, that was fun. No, that was not fun actually. Um, the the difficulty was that mainly for my parents, I think you know, because they were dealing with explaining this to us, mm-hmm. us bringing back pressure from the school because we go back and we're like, oh, why is daddy not picking me up and everything, and and the mom has to explain, but at the same time she leaves exactly the same struggle with him because she has to ex- to explain that her, you know the kids are complaining about that and you know it's a difficult situation and mm. everybody is some sort of but we didn't enter into that you know like whose fault it is mm. i think in the family we more like uh our parents because they were open to it we were open to ask questions and we felt welcome to actually question it at least me the the older of the family mm-hmm. i was open to to ask about it and my parents made it made it easy for us, you know, whenever there was decision made for the future of their kids. So I think we were in a safe environment, at least inside the family, between the two parents, even if they were not really agreeing. And honestly, it was like, one is saying, okay, come to see me next weekend. And the mom is like, oh, no, 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 next weekend you have this event we cannot do. So go next weekend. I'm like, okay, uh, mom said next weekend. And dad is like, no, you know, you have to, like, you know, you're always in between, right? But the difficulty was more from the outside, you know, because yeah. we were just the only one divorced. And then after the years, somehow it was uh, a trend to divorce. <laughs> it's Everyone's the, it's a trend, you know? So like, I don't know, like, I mean, like my mom had more, you know, friends to share things with. She was not the only divorced mom, single mom. Uh, she showed the way. Yeah, <laughs> no, but yeah, she, yeah. she actually somehow had, you know, friends that mm-hmm. were not letting us hang out with with each other anymore because we were divorced kids but uh, I didn't felt anything like, uh, only after when you grow up you, you start realizing all these things so yeah when you were so, younger and they were still together could you feel the tension like did you know something was going on yeah, yeah. Were, were you kind of relieved when they divorced or was it like you didn't want them to yeah like uh, when you're eight years old you're already really smart like yeah. I've, I've been uh, doing like camp leader for you know like 60 a group of 60 kids and i had the seven to eight years old and they are like really smart like they don't know anything like everything mm-hmm. but they question a lot you know mm-hmm. and so i think for my mom and my dad who were really interested in you know raising us and everything like, they wanted to answer my questions and i'm sure i had a lot of questions so it was it was a full-time job definitely <laughs> do, you, do you think but that's so, uh, that's what made you so independent Yes, I think so, yeah. 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 yeah, because I had to somehow, I'm, I'm not going to say protect, but more like, you know, make it easier for my sister as well, mm-hmm. because she was not really understanding what was going on. Just How like, old is your sister? Why are we doing three hours of, mm-hmm. you know, car every weekend to see dad, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he could just be at the home, you know? I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> too early, too early. <laughs> too early. How, what, what, how many years apart were you? Three years. Three years, okay, yeah, so she was... So she was five. Five, yeah. Yeah, five, like, you you don't have the ability to ask the questions, yeah. but you still see a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So she has a really different experience about it. Actually, sure. she, she, we talked to, to it, actually, because she came to Vietnam, and uh, we are now two grown adults, so it's interesting the conversation we have about this. And uh, her, like, if you ask her the question about... What is the hardest? Is it multiculturality or is it the divorce? Uh, the divorce? I'm sure her answer and, and, and the conversation you're going to have with her is, is going to be different. But there's yeah. definitely a lot of emotion that are waiting to be matured in, yeah. uh, for the discussion. So, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I remember when I was younger too, my parents were fighting a lot and they it looked like they were going to get divorced. And I just remember feeling so embarrassed because same, like not many families were divorced but the ones who were like they would get made fun of or like talked about like like very gossip mm. like oh they're divorced or whatever and yeah. i was i was just like oh please don't get a divorce it's so <laughs> embarrassing even though they were fighting so bad it was like i would rather have mm. that and have it be a secret mm. than everyone know but then as i got older and they were still fighting and i was in college and at that point i was mature enough to be like 
you know, I would rather them be happy. And because I'm out of the house, it doesn't even matter anymore. Mm. You know, like no one around me knows or cares. Mm. And now they're fine. But <laughs> so, we, do, we don't have enough time to talk about those. I didn't mean to go so, so deep. No, into but it's, it's very good. Like, so I, I had a lot of friends uh, in your situation. Like mm-hmm. their parents were not divorcing. And eventually it gets better after the years and, and, and everybody find the space in the mm-hmm. family environment. And for, for, for us, like in the family, we were more like, okay, so we are already tiered, tiered apart, uh, at, at least on the parents level. So let's just make sure that, you know, we can reconnect what's important. Mm-hmm. And so at least not having, you know, these tensions, because we had them at some point, you know, for like maybe a year, they discussed that and, it was not really funny discussions. It was more like fighting and everything like that, right? So I've seen my parents fighting and, and, and those things. And eventually with the divorce, it, it ended. So for me, that was one of the positive way to see it. Be like, mm-hmm. actually, I have more time to enjoy one of my parents at the, at the time. So like they are not on top of each other and, you know, like trying to uh, take advantage or whatever. Mm-hmm. And second, because they talk less, whenever they talk, it's just going to be, you know, like, 15 minute blitz uh, decision making on when is the next weekend we're going to have the kids. What do we do with the school of the, of Nicolas and whatever. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it was some sort of a release, but of course it was making things harder because you have this distance and, mm, and, yeah. and all these things. Well, I'm just going to say something because in f- people who are from France and who listen to this, they will understand is like, if you come from the center of France and you want to go to the east or the west, it's not a straight line like you have I mean before it was not a straight line like you had no highways and everything so you had to go to Paris come back to mm. like good like mm. this you know because France system is like a spider and the center is Paris so you have to go back to Paris it's yeah. faster to go to Paris and down to to, to Bordeaux mm. than to go from the center of France to Bordeaux mm. or at least you don't have to take like five trains you know <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. lived in Paris, so I didn't have that problem. Mm. I was the center of the world. <laughs> yeah, so, Everything revolved around me. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you probably remember going to the West yeah. Coast or the yeah, East yeah. Coast. It was, pretty it was like yeah. straight line. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. So what values do you feel like you learned from each parent? What did they instill in you? Okay, so I think because they were two always separated, so... I think it's two separated values, but yeah. I think my mom is more like uh, be be curious, be open, uh, be vulnerable. Never leave a problem inside, and always try to you know express it and face it. So I think my mom is more like the. Uh, actually, my mom is a psychologist, right? So <laughs> everything she do now is like you know. Uh, yeah, I when, like, when I Skype with her, is like uh, <laughs> a therapy. therapy session. <laughs> yeah, did she say those words to you, or was it more through her actions? More, more through the actions, mm. because uh, she had so much trouble, you know, as a single mom that you know she had to come back to us and be like, okay, you know, I don't have a solution right now mm-hmm. for not buying you this toy that you badly want. So we're gonna find a solution, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, she would she would go around and she would make be like, okay, what about you know you do another activity, uh, and that's how I you know finding solutions. Yeah, like she teaches us to to find mm-hmm. solutions because usually when you're a kid, you you want the same than the other kid, you know. And yeah. oh, I want these shoes or I want this T-shirt because it's cool. And then she would like find a solution because we probably couldn't afford this this t-shirt or this pair of shoes so she would be like okay what about you know we do something else or you know and so I felt like growing up like this afterwards every time I was facing something I cannot do that would teach me like yo you have a, a problem you may find a solution somewhere so, somehow differently mm-hmm. and and that I think that's one of the main value mm-hmm. from my mom and from my dad my dad is tenacious yeah. like plan ahead always you know have four steps being being four steps ahead is is winning somehow mm-hmm. like he, he he used to love to you know like play chess with me for example that's what i remember from my dad i guess and i started to be able to beat him when i was able to be four steps ahead uh-huh. or at least five steps ahead because he was already four right <laughs> so 
So, Do you think he was letting you beat him, or were you actually beating him? So no, he never. Yeah, like he was letting me beat him, but I knew he was easy with me. Mm-hmm. But then uh, now, when he when we are really playing, because now there is no more. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I know it's a game of like being four or five steps ahead of the other, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's a really good planner, mm-hmm. and 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 everything for him is is about planning. Like you, we don't go improvising. That, that mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. something we do, or at least for a very planned period of time yeah, you know like uh, maybe we go inside a attraction park and then we improvise inside it but he has a budget and he knows where actually he wants to bring us mm-hmm. so like he managed to you know help us write the story but he's also here to guide us through the episodes mm-hmm. so yeah. It's a good mix of feminine and masculine energy, I feel I like. So, like, from yeah. the feminine side, it's very, like, yeah. be vulnerable and yeah. express your emotions. And then the masculine side, plan, strategy. <laughs> but, so, I was raised by my mom. Yeah. So, 90% of the time, I was with her. Mm-hmm. So, we were, like, encouraged to actually express our emotions and, and, and be feminine somehow. Mm-hmm. That was not a bad word, actually. Yeah, yeah. It was just, you know. Yeah. I noticed often you'll be like, I love you guys. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I like never hear that from my guy friends. It's so nice. But I, like last year when uh, working together with Tessie, he said something I think is very true. It's like emotions never lie when, when you express them. Instead of expressing, you know, the rationality of the decision, be like who is right or wrong. Uh, and I felt like my father was more, you know, trying to be right or wrong and like the rational side. And my mom was more like the emotional side, be like, hey, yeah. there's no reason to be right or wrong. Just be, be, be feeling this and, and express it. And you'll be, you'll be always right to feel that. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. <laughs> and then I go back home. And <laughs> nice. All right. So now we're going to move on to your travels to Vietnam. So what were your intentions and expectations coming to Vietnam? Discovering my culture, mainly, because I didn't know what was being Vietnamese or what was my half Vietnamese side of my culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not educated by a Vietnamese father. It was more like French with a Vietnamese body. Um, so when I came here, I was like a an explorer of whatever I could discover about my own culture that I don't know about, actually. Mm-hmm. So I came like that. And also, I was always interested in business and the concrete questions behind, you know, how the society works and all these things. So looking at the society in Vietnam, like even I learned more things about French culture and French uh, system when I was in Vietnam, because mm-hmm. looking at this, the Vietnamese system, the Vietnamese mm-hmm. society was very interesting for me. Yeah. So I was discovering everything at the same time. That was my intention, like mainly learning about society. So I was two years student in a business school. I decided to do a gap year because I didn't know what to choose for my last year of studies, where you have to find a major. And I was like... You only find a major in your last year? Yeah, because the two first years were uh, common knowledge about business and about management and practical work like we would do internships we would do things like that Mm -hmm. and the last year was digging into something specific so either it's marketing finance you know you choose and actually i ended up choosing entrepreneurship so were your parents supportive of you coming here yes always supportive i'm not saying they were not scared or uh, anything like that but they were definitely supportive like at least they were showing me that you know you, whatever you, you experience is you're gonna have something good coming out of it mm-hmm. because actually like even in 2012 like Vietnam was already on the list of the new countries to explore mm-hmm. so for them it was like yeah it's a country of opportunity just try mm-hmm. I was supposed to go to the US actually but and I, I definitely can resonate with what you said about how you you understand more about your culture when you move into a different culture I feel yeah. like I understood what it what american even means by coming over here it's like just that contrast yeah. that hard contrast yeah you, you have less noise of you know being in the system you are mm-hmm. out a little bit not out exactly but you are like on the side yeah. so you can Distance. observe it more yeah you have yeah, something better. to compare it to yeah as well yeah, yeah yeah it's like oh vietnam is like this and then you go mm-hmm. okay now i know what what is the difference you mm-hmm. know when you're yeah. inside the, the thing you're like yeah 
You can't and, compare it to anything. And, and, and now I, it's funny because every time I see a newcomer coming to Vietnam, like I see him or her comparing actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, in France we do like this. Oh, in China we do like that. And yeah. I'm like, Wait for eight years after that. You're, like, you're not gonna. You're not gonna compare anymore. Like this is going to be. You know, it's a, it's a natural reaction. <laughs> the reality, because we both work in tourism, but the natural reaction is like you become a little bit more nationality. Like, yeah, uh, exactly. Like your your nationality just comes back more because you're like because you compare every single action you do is you compare. You compare. So like I'm so French or mm-hmm. I'm so Japanese and I'm so Brazilian. Yeah, yeah. I, I was not that patriotic when I left France, and now I think I'm I'm more aware. You know of what is France and what system it is and how lucky we were actually to grow in a system like that so now I feel like more careful about respecting you know the system that is in place in France and, and be more patriotic in a way mm-hmm. I'm not participating in the debates and everything because from Vietnam it's not mm-hmm. it's not the point but I'm definitely following and, and, and interested because yeah. that matters at mm-hmm. some point mm-hmm. yeah, I, I always say like truly loving your country or your nationality is knowing all the good things about it, but also all the bad things about it and mm. being able to have conversation about it. It's like, okay, it's not like true love. It's not just like everything is good, everything <laughs> is heaven. And, yeah. you know, you need to know what can go wrong, what can, you know, what, what is bad. We're ambassadors of our brands and culture. Exactly. Yeah, we, I feel like an ambassador of my own country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because every time we ask to introduce yourself, oh, I'm from France. So people are going to ask, you know, about that. So you, you represent your country. How has this whole experience in Vietnam, I guess, helped shape who you are today? I guess it's like now I understand more uh, half of my other culture. <laughs> and um, it's very interesting, actually, because I, I still feel like I'm French in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I don't consider myself being Vietnamese, but definitely knowledgeable about, about it and willing to actually embrace this culture better and, 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 and differently. Mm-hmm. You have a Vietnamese wife now. Yeah, um, Vietnamese wife, Vietnamese food every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how long have you known your, uh, your wife? Uh, six years. Six years. Mm. So you've been here for eight years, you know her for six years. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting because she's traditional Vietnamese and she is a pioneer in her generation because she came to study in Saigon. Meanwhile, she's not from Saigon and against her parents and family advice. And and so she was kind of like the rebel in the family somehow. And when, when we met, she was like super open-minded about things. But then when it was coming to, you know, like, the things we have to be doing as a Vietnamese when we go to the family. Like, she was like, oh, don't do this, don't do that, you know, and for, don't forget about this. And she was even herself forgetting about what she has to do or not do, you know. <laughs> so it was interesting. But during the six years, because of the barrier of the culture and the language and everything, we had we took our time to actually know each other. And I'm actually really proud of that because yeah. it was not easy at the beginning. I was more like 22 or 23 more like, okay, you know, business first, uh, myself first, or my friends first, my, my life first. And, and then I have a girlfriend and her, she was more like, oh, actually, um, you know, she was three years older than me. So she was more like, oh, I'm interested in actually, you know, having a very serious relationship and everything. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, it was sort of, sort of her trying to convince me to have a real serious relationship and me trying to be like, yo, we should enjoy our time and, you know, take our time to do things. And I think we had this debate for like the three first year of our relationship. Mm. With respect, of course, you know, like I was not going out or things like that, but I was more like uh, um, taking it easy and she was she was trying to have me more yeah. committed. Is she, uh, is she the only Vietnamese girl you dated? No, no, no. I mean, her, no, know. no, no, because uh, when I arrived during the two first years, part of discovering Vietnam was also, you know, discovering the dating dating scene and everything. So I had a, a lot of time also to explore. Um, Tell us more. Yeah. <laughs> so then I, <laughs> then I wanted to ask that. Uh, so interesting. So I think for me, even when I was dating, I was not, you know, like, especially looking into, okay, what, what type of girl or whatever. I was more like, okay, I want to explore the city. I don't know the city. 
instead of exploring with a boy, I should explore it with a girlfriend, you know? <laughs> that's, that's always better, right? And Such a boy mentality. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't know. I don't know if that's a plan or anything. Like that's that's the both worlds. <laughs> anyway, I, was, I, I knew what it was, like, you know, because I think Vietnamese society, when you're a boy, it's always easier. And I realized that with my sister, when she arrived here, like, everything was harder for her. And so when I was with my boy Vietnamese friends, we were always going places and it was super easy, right? And it was some sort of comfortable environment because we were between boys and, and everything like that. But then when you start dating or at least, you know, having a meeting with a girl and be like, I'm just interested in, you know, getting to know you, have a coffee in a place where you feel comfortable. You can come with a friend if you want. And so we used to, you know, just hang out. Mm -hmm. And even just that, like for me, it was what I was looking for for the first two years like meet, meeting people, get to know Vietnamese girls, Vietnamese boy, whatever, yeah. Mm -hmm. Were you, what was your English level like when you came here? And was that your common language with your girlfriend or were you speaking Vietnamese? Well, you just meet a French person who arrived in the foreign country for the first time and this is going to be my, my English level <laughs> <laughs> that I had when I arrived in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can write an email, <laughs> but definitely not having a, full conversation with people at least like the same than today mm -hmm. um, I learned a lot because in Vietnam what's common is to have a sh like live in a shared house and I was living with American English teachers and we would do some activities play some games or anything like that and And even just explaining daily problems in the house for me was a struggle at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But being evolving in a multicultural environment, you just pull out this card and be like, hey, I know how to handle these situations. Mm -hmm. Because you deal with foreigners all the time. So mm -hmm. it was the same. I was the foreigner. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were the foreigner as well, but yeah. we were speaking English. So yeah. I had to learn. You're an extrovert too. It's, it's much easier to learn languages when you're... You have that desire to tell jokes or to, to tell your story and yeah. you're just sitting there and you cannot say it and you're like, oh, I'm going to go back to my room. I'm going to think about that story. And I'm gonna... No, I was yeah, improvising so on this one. Yeah, so... <laughs> I was like, they need to listen to this story. <laughs> and, then, and then eventually nobody laughed because they don't understand, you know? And I'm like, exactly what? 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 No, it's a funny story. <laughs> But yeah. So then you try again and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, learn, that's how you learn English or any language too. Yeah. To be fair, that's why that's what I encourage, encourage people to do. And I as well, like through the podcast, like we had some guests that were not really comfortable with English and anything like that, right? And that's always something I respect when people just jump out of their comfort zone and, and try to do something. Because when I was doing it, when someone next to me was congratulating me for doing it, I was like, yeah, you know, like feeling so empowered. Yeah. So now I try to be that person for someone else who actually. Do something like when that. did you decide to uh, learn in uh, Vietnamese? Uh, actually, at, at the time I was building my first business, I was like, "This is real. Like, I'm working here. I need. I will need to hire some Vietnamese staff, uh, or at least work with Vietnamese people. So I just don't want to force them to speak English because it forces me to speak English as well. So let's just make it easier. I'm interested in learning Vietnamese. I want them to feel. You know, I, I want to understand them." I want to be able to communicate with them properly. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to learn Vietnamese. And that's actually the time where I met my wife. And she is not really speaking good English. So we were like practicing at the same time. So that was cute. <laughs> <laughs> and <Okay>. useful. <laughs> you talked about business. So it's, it's perfect because we're going to go into the, uh, the jump in Vietnam and Dublin period. Okay. So you created two big businesses uh, since you came to Vietnam. What were your intentions behind both of them? So... Jump in Vietnam, uh, it was my first business. I was just out of school. I had little professional experiences. Coming into Vietnam, I was extremely lucky to actually have a mentor, like someone who actually took me to different places and showed me the, um, like, the, the behind the scene, the real behind the scene of Vietnam. So when I talked to my other interns' friends that I had at the time who were also 22 and even some people who were 30 years old but they were here for three years and I was sharing my experience or we were like, you know, discussing about stuff. They were not even, you know, knowing half of what I knew after, I don't know, like three weeks or three, three months or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I realized that, I was like, so there is two things, either they don't know and they don't have access to it and it's a bit sad because 
they want to know or either like I'm uh, you know I'm a real explorer and I can you know be the connector for these people who want to know more about Vietnam so that's why I call it Jump in Vietnam, yes. because there is this idea behind that you can get involved into Vietnam. And eventually, actually, I'm just thinking about it now, but it can infuse through creators in Saigon, because we help people to have some sort of a deeper uh, input of what is the creators of Saigon, right? Yeah. Uh, so that, that was my, my first intention. Yeah. And okay. for uh, the blend, um, it was just making Jump in Vietnam a little bit bigger and, and because Jump in Vietnam was an online business. So I was super proud of actually working remote and everything. But then as soon as I started to invest in this house and have people to to stay at my place or even friends visiting me, they were like, wow. So like, you know, Jump in Vietnam becomes a real, real thing. So that was not really the initial intention, but I was more like the continuation of it. And... Of course, connecting with multiculturalities, making sure that, you know, people can really understand what is the real Vietnam, because I was in District 10 of Saigon, so it's not Vivian or it's not District 2. So it's real Vietnamese experiences, Vietnamese prices as well, um, Vietnamese neighbors. So it was a really fun experience to share with people who were arriving for the first time. And for the audience to understand, can you quickly explain what, what was Jump in Vietnam as a service and what was Dublin? So Jump in Vietnam was a human resources consulting company. I was helping interns from abroad to find an internship in Vietnam that could transform into a job. Mm-hmm. And I was doing it on a headhunting business model. So like the company was paying me to hire their future employees. Mm-hmm. And we were using the internship for a trial period Mm -hmm. and at the same time I was some sort of helping them to discover Vietnam so like once they start working for the company after they are like better workers Mm -hmm. perfect what about Dublin hostel and Dublin it's a hostel the only I mean at the time the only and first hostel outside of the backpacker area with a shared house environment and obviously authentic way of sharing uh, the Vietnamese experiences so not what you can find in the guides, but more like what you can explore on your own mm-hmm. with an insider like me who can show you places and, mm-hmm. and explain you a little bit more. And I think if I'm not uh, wrong, at the time that you closed the hostel, it was still number one in, uh, yeah. in which... Uh... Yeah, so Dublin was booming. Like uh, mm-hmm. After two years, it was for number one on Hostel World. And we were getting like a lot of reviews and I was making sure, you know, like all the things I've learned about marketing, about management, about multiculturality, everything was put it in, put it in. So I spent a lot of energy into it. So like after four years, it was about to be, you know, like even bigger because I wanted to branch out. I wanted to create a travel agency and everything. But because of COVID, I closed. And thanks to COVID, I closed so I could focus on other things as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So thanks for uh, telling us about your two businesses. In general now, uh, for the past eight years you've been in Vietnam, what was your lowest moment in your entrepreneurial journey? And what lessons did you learn from the experience? So it's funny because if you would, like during the interview last time we had, I, I think I didn't have that low moment. I think I just had it like last year, like 2020 for me was, I was feeling super lucky to actually be free again of my time, but I didn't like all the plans I had for the tourism industry that was a really booming industry and I was in it, you know, I was, I was in Saigon, <laughs> I was number top 10 at least on all the platforms and everything. And it was, it was really difficult for me to be, to accept that, you know, like to accept that. This is, this is the end. You need, mm-hmm. you need to, re- to convert this to something else. Mm-hmm. So, and also because I'm used to adapt to difficult situations in my entire career and in my life. So I was not really facing it properly, I think. And at some, some point I was like, yeah, I can find other ways to convert that. And then at other points, I, was, I would go back home at the same time and be like, this is, this is the end. Like, I'm just, to stop everything and you know live in the forest and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and stop stop any trial because it's it's not worth it what about in four years it's just do the same you know so um, it was a lot of up and downs like this and I didn't have the strength to actually I think 
start something new as big as the blend, mm-hmm. at least on my own. So that's why, like, yeah, we started to do like some, some meetups. We started mm-hmm. to do some things. I think now my analysis of it is like it was comfortable to start smaller things because it could be done quicker and and with and, and easily. And also because I didn't have any revenues during 2020, so I was living on my savings. So it was really uncomfortable. Like it's uh, it's it's really tough uh, when you do this. So it was hard to be an entrepreneur as bold as I used to be. So I think that was really frustrating, and that was the worst period of my entrepreneur life or mm-hmm. entire life. No, not worse, but you know, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Knowing you a little bit, also there was a point where. Uh, maybe you don't see it in your entrepreneurial journey, but you went to the hospital now yeah. because of work. Yeah. Do you see that as part of the... So, so how do you see that moment? So for me, so I spent 10 days in the hospital mm-hmm. uh, and I think it was because of too much stress, too much work, bad habits. Um, I was not eating at the same time every day. I was not eating, actually. Sometimes mm-hmm. like I would go to bed and be like, oh, fuck, I forgot to eat today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like really, um, really bad. And that was... That was really horrible somehow uh, to pass that. And after that, I was like, okay, no more. But uh, When was this? It was 2018. 2018, So so the first year of the hostel, when actually I was just hitting number one. And then somehow like my brain switched off, be like, yo, I'm number one, I can die. (laughs) (laughs) And then I went to hospital. (laughs) But like compared to what I I lived in 2020, it was very, 2020 was a suffering somehow, but like small bits by small bits, Mm -hmm. you know. And it was the whole year. Yeah. This one was really brutal. After recovering, I was still weak physically, but I was like, okay, this is a really good lesson. But in 2020, I struggled to find the lesson and I struggled to find what to believe in again or where, where to go and, and how to convert all of that. So it was, it was a lot of questioning. And when you start thinking too much, it's a prison. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've mentioned before how there were some struggles with your relationship too, in terms of like you were working so hard and not so much putting attention to the relationship. Mm. Uh, and now obviously you're married, so it all worked out, but what was kind of going on? <laughs> what, was, what was going on? What was going on in those moments and how did you pull together as a couple and come yeah. out of that? So when I was talking about the two chairs, you know, and you try to make them both comfortable and it's actually impossible because it's hard to focus on two things at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same analogy because I was trying to have a flourishing business and at the same time have a good relationship or at least be a good boyfriend. And I was, that was definitely, I realized that was not my intention actually. I was like, you know what? Like if you want a good boyfriend, it's, Maybe me in three years, but not now. Like, I'm not ready. I'm building. I was just opening the hostel. I was working and that was the only thing that mattered for me. And being successful, you know, like I had these big ideas of creating a lot of passive income. And I was seeing this relationship as a something that would hold me back. Mm. And so we had this conversation where I was like, I wish to have this kind of relationship, but maybe later. And instead of keeping postponing and lying to you, we should, we should split. We actually split for six months, but I realized like she wasn't part of my support system somehow. Mm-hmm. So we were meeting like once a month or, you know, like mm-hmm. secretly some, somehow. And then it was the time for me to go to France. So I invited her to come to France to actually see my family and see you know, how it is to struggle in a different environment because she never really traveled to Europe, so she, all the things that we were struggling about, she was she was only seeing one side of it. It was me. But what if you know? And so like the idea came, and because of that, somehow it helped us to go back together and mm. and on a different basis because she was more patient, she was more understanding about the differences of the culture. She had a comparison finally. Yeah. <laughs> she had a comparison, yeah, yeah, like somewhere to be like, okay, where is Nico, and what is you know what is going on around this. And for me, at that time, I was like still into business and into things. But I was like, because she understood France and she understood my story, then we can probably have a future together. So I was more serious about this relationship afterwards. Do you think you approach relationship more like your father or like your mother? I've always tried to actually compare, like compare, yeah. But I don't know. 
I've always think that if one day I had to divorce, I would be, I would want to be the same kind of parents that they've mm-hmm. been for me. And of course, I connect more with my father in, in terms of you know relationship and everything. But I want, I don't want to do the same thing that he did mm. to my mom. So yeah. it's uh, it's yeah. very. It's, it's, it's very things. difficult like to, to compare to, to, to see. Did you have those moments when you were deciding to get married where you're like, oh, I don't want to be like my father, but I'm so much like my father. <laughs> and you like mini freak out. <laughs> yeah, because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I'm also the fruit of my mother as well. Yeah. So I, I guess, I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think we can jump into what you're doing now and maybe where where your struggles are now Mm. and where your relationship is now like how how does that compare to in the past so i started to work for a company it's called easyviet and they they do services that are really similar or at least it could be a really good like i can bring a lot of things to this company Mm -hmm. and so it's very beneficial for all of us because Thanks to this somehow, and that solved my problem of 2020, is I don't need to search for my own way to make an income. I can just, you know, get paid somehow. And that saved me from being unstable, at least financially, which I think is the first thing you need to stabilize when you are an entrepreneur, especially when you just lost your business. So um, for me, that's like, it's a win-win deal at the moment. And it brings a lot of, of course, like discomfort and tensions for me because I need to work at office hours and it is a specific location. Mm-hmm. So you've never had that before. No, right? I mean, like I was working life. in my hostel, so yeah. I was living in it. So I was just coming down the stairs and be like, Hey guys, you need a check in. Okay. I'm here. So it was, it was very difficult. And jumping Vietnam was online. So I could be in Mwene on the beach and feel like, you know, this is the lifestyle I wanted. Mm-hmm. And now, so I'm still looking to those type of lifestyles. I'm still looking to financial freedom uh, and freedom of time, freedom of all these things, right? Mm. But I see this opportunity that I have more like, okay, I'm facing an entrepreneur who actually needs things like exactly what I can bring him. I can build teams. I can I can help him for the strategy. I can eventually invest in, in the business in the future. And I can be one of his, you know, foundation because I also want a stable project for my future right so all of this together it creates the opportunity for me be like yeah i'm actually somehow being an entrepreneur inside another's business Mm -hmm. which is exactly what i can do and this is a good opportunity for me to have a stable income at the same time so this is where i am at the moment and of course on the side i have a french expat group so i'm still building this community of French people in Vietnam mm. and I have the podcast. So I'm really actually for 2021, I really want to be able to match this full-time job with creators in Saigon. And uh, how is your relationship now? Well, so being married for those who are not married yet and <laughs> who were like me, not really into marriage, you should give it a go. <laughs> it's not too bad, though. <laughs> it's not too bad. No, but I mean, for me, that changed it. That changed a lot of things for uh, for us too. Because now I can uh, have someone to like a real official support system that I can welcome, and it helped me to be less, you know, lonely, and it, it helps me to be less selfish, and uh, think only about me. But at the same time, uh, be less, you know, worried about. My, myself mm-hmm. so I like I have someone who can you know support me if I need to and I can and I and actually devoting your time and your support and your energy to someone else is the best thing you can do mm-hmm. so I'm actually happy to help her and, and and now that she has no more job mainly because of COVID as well she's you know recovering from this she's at home and I, I help her to you know like learn French and I think this is very positive where we are heading and you know you've been writing in our message group a few struggles you've been having you were struggling with maybe people coming to you asking for your help and or different projects opportunities sort of falling into your lap and and you not not wanting to say no maybe because you're interested in those opportunities or you you want to help that person but then it ends up 
you're getting burnt out because yeah. you're doing so many different things at once and struggling to know kind of where to put <laughs> your time or like how to say no. So I, I think I can put an analogy. So it's like, as like the gambler on a cash machine in a casino, but I was in an airplane and trying to, you know, <laughs> drive the airplane. So I was pushing all the buttons, you know, and be like, beep, beep, beep. Okay, cool, cool, cool. You know, trying everything. <laughs> so yeah, like I, was, I, I have this kind of tendency to do this for, especially after not having the hostel anymore and having free time again, which I didn't have for a long period. I was keen on taking every opportunity I could. And that was, that was probably... A good strategy to explore, but a bad strategy for long-term success, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, which I'm still working on, right? That's why I was asking those questions about, hey guys, today I planned to do this, mm-hmm. but actually ended up doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and then Dana was like, wait, so okay, look at your end goal more. <laughs> that was good advice. But then, so also like for me, because like knowing you now since, and we worked in 2020, it was like, you didn't have any proper system before for self-care. You installed a lot of them in 2020. So maybe tell a little bit about the audience because about how it changed your, your way to do work, to do entrepreneurship yeah. and like all this, all those new systems that you have in your life. You know, for example, for me, the, the, the vulnerability that you showed on the, on Messenger, most likely you wouldn't have shown that two years ago. Yeah. Or, you know, so tell Tom. Or at least I would ask my mom or okay. someone very, very close. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think the systems that I put in place in 2020 that I actually had the time to put because mm-hmm. before I would not take the time, I think they are the, the now becoming like the strong foundation. And that's, that's what every time I was feeling depressed during 2020, I was like, actually, during the, the free time that you have, you are building others, like your system for the future. Mm-hmm. So even if now it's not making money, this is the real foundation that you need because it will guarantee that in the future, even if you have a huge opportunity or even if uh, you have a huge stress or everything, you can gather it, analysis, detect it at least, and then, you know, put it in place, put something in place so you can solve that. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think that the questions I had were some sort of the alerts mm-hmm. coming in, which helped me to not burn out. So um, those systems are something new, something I always needed before, I think. But that's something we are not being taught when we are um, at school, mm-hmm. right? So I was straight out of school, building my business, and even my yeah, like even finding a mentor or even the people that helped me. That was always around conversation toward you know how to find more clients, how to convert more clients, marketing conversations, management conversations, those kind of things. But not exactly you know like the core of the business, how to process something more efficiently and and avoid the noise around and mm-hmm. deal with distractions, deal with opportunities and all these things. Yeah. Think- and just like basic taking care of yourself. It seems like yeah. self-care should be a, a core thing that is also taught in any conversation mm-hmm. about starting a business because you are the business. Like if yeah. you fall, if you're in the hospital yeah. for 10 days, like who's running the business, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I, I, I as well have signed up for different, you know, business courses and worked with different business coaches. And yeah, it's always like strategy, marketing, sales, like yeah. here's how we do yeah. it. And never about here's how to also take care of your health and your mindset. Yeah. It's so true. Before it's, so true. it's too late and you only um, find out later. I was a real, like I was, a, when I was 20, I was not smoking. I was not drinking. I was drinking. <laughs> I was drinking a lot. Uh, I was, uh, but I was doing a lot of sports, a lot of music. I was doing a lot of things, you know, on my free time. And with the business, all this free time disappeared into doing business. Mm-hmm. And that was what mattered and, and everything. So even eating was eaten by, uh, the, business. by the business. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was really, really bad, actually, uh, honestly. So what do you think allowed it to get to that point? I think the ambition, the, the, the strife, like you want to succeed. You are in Saigon, like uh, it's a busy, busy city, like every day, even Sundays. Nowadays, people start to not work on Sundays. But in 2012, like weekends, you would give weekends to the staff. They would, instead of rest, they would find another part-time job. 
In Saigon, it's, it's the culture. Everybody work, work, work. But you see the uh, the outcome of it with the rise of mental health problems. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You work too much, mental health just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. takes the toll. Yeah, now, like, even with EasyViet, we... The, the the boss of the company like he's working like 24/7 yeah. and uh, we have a lot of conversation about that because the company is extremely growing and definitely successful but there is holes in our own core system like the sacrifices we make mm-hmm. for not having lunch and operating this service instead on the long run is not a winning strategy yeah. definitely right And like you said, like if you die, the business die. So we have to make sure we are more than uh, only surviving, but actually in the best uh, shape surviving. of our of mm-hmm. our self. People don't take time enough to sit down and do nothing. That's my takeaway. Like I mean, like in the next 10 years, that's what I'm gonna build. It's like mm-hmm. stop experimenting that much, stop taking so much opportunities. And trying to, you know, focus more on, on, on yeah. what matters. I mean, having come from the, this is the second interview we do with you. Yeah. <laughs> the first one, you were all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and just to see how, how more, like in just like what, six months? Oh no, we did it, what, in September? No, mm. September. Oh, yeah. The, the, your interview, like your, you have your, your ideas in place. You know where you're going. You're way more constructed in the, in mm. the, in the, emotionally, you're very much more stable too. So it's, it's, Very good. All the entrepreneurs I, I talked to, like we were, we were like used to plan three years ahead, five years ahead, mm-hmm. and now like you cannot plan more than a week ahead because mm-hmm. there is this policy coming up, there is this thing happening over there, this new virus coming yeah. in, whatever. And so, for for someone who is used to plan, this is really uncomfortable because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I have the best idea in the next, you know, few years it's gonna boom, and we can make money now because it's already an opportunity, and then suddenly. You know, things mm-hmm. happen and you cannot. I think one of the big messages that COVID is is bringing into the world is the only thing that you can plan, and that's the advice that I, that we give to everybody is your yeah. self care. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, and it's switching the word selfish to self care. Nice, because uh, at the end of the day, it's, mm-hmm. that's what you need to do. Like, when there, there is nothing else we can do, care about yourself. <laughs> so, is there anything uh, that you need to achieve some of your goals into 2021? And talk to the audience and see if one of them can help. <laughs> uh, so in 2021, so now I'm focusing more on like end goals, right? Yeah. So end goals, for example, uh, I have many end goals, but one of the first one is actually to have more fun, like at least to, to be aware of it and focus on it because I like to have fun and I'm always having fun, but not, not officially, you know, it's always, oh, this is fun. So we put it aside. Now it's like, it's going to be, you know, mainly fun mm. and of course financially more stable and and being more like adult i would say in terms of managing my my finances my, my investment of, of my time as well on my health and everything so being more healthy of course and so part of these of course has to be like converted into some projects so obviously i want to i want to make sure that you know we can uh, grow the audience of creators in saigon Uh, that we can have more and more very, very nice guests on the show, which is also, I mean, I'm sure if I dig into my network of friends I have in Saigon, like I'm, I can I can find thousands of really nice creators that could come on the show as well. So it's a message for people who want to be on the show, like to be basically, if you feel like you have something to share and you and people could benefit from your experiences, just, you know, come to us. My French network as well, like I have a, f- a Facebook group. I want to make sure, you know, it becomes a real useful circle for French people, but not only like for their friends, for Vietnamese people who are connected to France or to French people, especially like on the level of relationship, on the level of education, on not only business, uh, of course, food and, and everything, help small businesses to thrive. And I have the plan of actually, you know, um, building a training program or something that will look like a transformation system for uh, entrepreneurs who actually are uh, freelancers and who want to build teams or who want to transform their freelance business into a real business. What I mean by real business is like where they have, they start to hire their first employees and they start to grow their team, maybe officialize more their activity and not just doing it, you know, freelancing uh, aside. Mm-hmm. So um, this is something I do already for EasyViet. 
because he started as a freelance a year ago and then his service started to boom but then you know when you reach the this this famous mm-hmm. like product market fit when you have 150 people contacting you every day mm-hmm. for a visa mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you are alone <laughs> in your office and you are like focused on your phone then of course you need people on this on your side to help you but you need to find the right people and it takes time so i used to do this for the hostel i used to be alone and doing the checking at 4 a.m and doing the breakfast at 6 and then at 11 p.m bring my guests to party <laughs> and then not sleeping oh and everything God. right so I know what it takes to build a team. I know it's hard. I made a lot of mistakes with my uh, former employees and, and everything, right? Mm-hmm. So if I can help an entrepreneur to avoid to do that, that, that would be my message. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have one final question. How would you describe Saigon in three words? That's a good question. <laughs> so for me, Saigon is it's vibrant, it's contrasted, and multicultural, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna explain a bit. Vibrant because, and uh, vibrant and contrasted is the two first thing that came to my mind in the taxi on, like from the airport to my first apartment when I first arrived. Mm-hmm. I was seeing like all these motorbikes going everywhere, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Wow, they're gonna hit my cab!" <laughs> and <laughs> and I don't know where these people are going. You know, <laughs> it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. So I want to explore that, and I wanted to know. And yeah, like I was seeing this vibration. Like suddenly, my even my body was vibrating differently I was excited and contrasted because you can you can meet so many different people and you can eat in a really small street food uh, and the night you can be in the best in one of the best nightclub in the city that is actually better than what you can find in France mm. so I'm really thankful for for this opportunity in Saigon and of course so many nationalities and people to hang out with so really fun very good Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Nico. Yeah. Thank you for being so vulnerable, Mm -hmm. sharing your story. I'm glad we will finally get it out to the people. And please, if you've enjoyed this podcast, share it on your social media, share it with your friends. This helps us grow and helps our guests out with their different businesses. So we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Thank you again, Nico. And thank you for having me. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Saigon. If you liked this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.